0: Welcome back to today's episode of That's Business Podcast. Today, we have special guest Jessica White. My path and Jessica's paths crossed a few months ago, and I honestly was immediately drawn to her story of growing up in the foster care system. Jessica is such a breath of fresh air, an extremely honest individual, and truly gives insights to what the foster care system is like that a lot of people don't realize. Really excited to have you on, Jessica. Thank you so much for being on this episode. But let's start with tell us a little bit about your story.
1: Obviously, we're going to get into it really far, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. My earliest memories are of transitioning in and out of the foster care system. I'm the oldest of four children. We Mm -hmm. were in and out. um, I think the earliest foster care home I remember is probably my earliest memory, about five. And in and out, my biological mother never kept a job, was into drugs, um, was just not in a good environment. So we shuffled back and forth a lot from her to foster homes as the state continued to try to get her to get her act together continued to give her opportunities to get herself together. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was just a, uh, I was adopted once unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother story of just how things went wrong with abuse, and then went back into the foster care system until I met people who I consider to be my parents late in high school. And so when I aged out of the system, I moved in with them, and they have been my parents ever since. Oh, I love that.
0: <laughs> but how does it work? I know being five, you may remember some of it and whatnot. I know you said it's your earliest memory, but. How does it work with communication with you as the foster kid there? Is it like, hey, look, you're getting adopted? Because a lot of people don't know how this whole system works.
1: No, um, they're not very good with sharing information. Frequently, you would be shuffled to a different home with less than 24 hours notice. Oh. Once I was old enough to understand that process, you would receive a phone call the night before and say, be ready in the morning, you're leaving. And you're not given a reason why. So you're left thinking, did I did something wrong? Are they unhappy with me? And of course, being one of four, we were frequently not together. So my siblings were in another home. And so how this would normally work is I would be in one home, my brothers would be in another and my sister ended up going with family. So my brothers and I were separated for a lot of our time in foster care until we went to one specific home who said she was willing to take all three of us. Mm-hmm. So you're not given a whole lot of information. And because they are overworked and underpaid and overwhelmed, right? You frequently don't meet your caseworker. They don't even know your name. You're a number. You're a file to be shuffled, a placement or a phone call that they receive. Um, and I'm not bashing that system it is very much a broken system and I know social workers personally in my adult life that I've had conversation with about just the burden of trying to connect with every one of those kids and make sure that they you know mentally and physically are in a good place mm-hmm. it's just it's a broken system and they don't have a lot of support. I can't even tell you the number of social workers I had that I don't even know their name mm-hmm. I really I have one and I don't remember her name, but did When I was in high school, coming to the home I was in, sit down on the bed and have a conversation with me. We talked about favorite music and just treated me like a person instead of a number. Right. Mm -hmm. So, no, a lot of information is not shared with you. You're going to court. You don't know why. If you are involved with your biological parents or family, you don't know when your next meeting with them is going to be. I sometimes did not know where my siblings were in another home or when I would get to see them. So there's a constant level of anxiety of all the not knowing, you mm-hmm. know, and then when you go into a new home, that's such a terrifying experience because you don't know the rules, right? You know, you don't know the rules. You don't know. You don't know if it's okay to ask for a snack. You don't know if it's okay to turn on the TV. You Things that... You know, every day people don't necessarily think about the smells are different, the sounds are different. I can remember countless nights of being in the first home, just not being able to sleep that night, just paralyzed with, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Am I, how long are they going to be here? Are they going to like me? You know, so it's definitely a anxiety ridden process, which I think that we could do better with, especially once a child reaches teen years of explaining. What's going on? Mm -hmm. What's your next move? Why are you being moved? Um, Maybe working through issues so they don't have to be moved. Right. Because every kid in that system is going to internalize, you know, whether you tell me that that's true or not, you know, I'm going to believe that you just don't want me, Mm -hmm. that there's something wrong with me. So definitely could improve communication and including the kids in the process. Now, I know that that's sometimes not always possible. A lot of kids want to go home. A lot of kids want to stay in situations where sometimes it's not the foster family's fault. They just can't. They have other personal issues. They have sick family. They have finances. Someone has to go back to work. But if you communicate that, at least the child's not, hopefully not internalizing the reason why they're being moved.
0: So how does it work with moving house to house? Is it... They come in and say, and I honestly know nothing about this, so that's exactly why I wanted to have you on it. So some of these questions are like, those are dumb questions. That's from my lack of knowledge there. But how does it work? Where you said, like, okay, I'd have to go like foster home to foster home. Is it on a basis of we keep you for a certain amount of time and then aim to get you adopted, or how did that work?
1: Well, for me, for up until I was eleven, my biological mother retained rights to me, so I wasn't able to be adopted. Oh, okay, Right. And so this was the process of the court having to terminate her rights that she was finally an unfit mother or her agreeing to have her rights terminated so that we could process into adoption. Up until I was 11, she retained those rights. So that's why I say there was a lot of for a little while she would do better. She would get into a home or have some stability. We would move in and then it would kind of all fall back apart again or there was abuse there. Mm -hmm. Um, from various boyfriends and being hungry. And that's a whole nother podcast. I feel like if you want to talk down that road. Yeah. But there's a lot of negative things uh, to being shuffled back into her care. So then we would go into another home and we were never, like I said, we would get a phone call. And the stigma is a lot of foster kids travel with plastic bags. We don't have anything that was our own. And as you leave homes, you lose possessions and You know, some kids only come with the clothes on their back and that's all they have. They weren't given enough. If it's an emergency movement, they may not have been given any notice that they were being pulled out of a home. So they're just leaving. And then once rights are terminated and you're put up for adoption, then from the research I've done and from what I've heard, it is easier for kids to be adopted from the foster system Mm -hmm. than if it were you coming from an outside agency. It's less costly if you're adopting and then taking those kids in from that process. But you still have to deal with, and I understand, foster families who decide to adopt still have to deal with that family element. Mm -hmm. It's hard if the biological family knows where you live. They might just show up. They might still continue to be involved in that child's life. You may have to deal with the drama there. I know frequently for my moves or what I was told was, my biological family knew where I was and they didn't want her just showing up at the door. Right. So it was tried to remain a big secret of where we were placed at that point in time. Sometimes we were moved, not because of anything we did, but because all of a sudden somebody's passed on the information and now she knows where we live. Oh my gosh. Because she would show up and drop gifts off at the door. Right. Or come and argue um, about our our care or something she disagreed with. So they would move us for that reason. Mm -hmm. So once her rights were terminated, I was placed up for adoption. My two brothers and I were adopted when I was 11. And then I lived there until my ninth grade year. And then I was removed from that home for abuse. My brothers remained and I was removed. And then put back into foster care and then spent about six to nine months in one single home before I was moved to a state-funded orphanage. Oh, my God. And that's where I remained until I I graduated high school. And because that first adoptive mom retained my rights, Mm -hmm. I was never allowed to be adopted again. So the people I call my parents are not legally my parents. They're my choice. Wow. Wait. So the house you
0: were getting abused in retained rights for you, even though you were removed from it and still to this day have them? Yes. They are still legally on my birth certificate. What? I'm going to get really heated on this podcast. How does that make any sense? (laughs) But oh my God. Okay. So when we've talked about this before, you said when you aged out of the system. So what happened? I know this is a big issue too. That's still a hot topic of You age out at 18, what happens? Is it just best of luck to you or how does it work?
1: Yeah, it's still pretty much best of luck to you. I've heard that certain states have established programs for 18 to 20 for kids to remain in homes. You have to apply for that privilege and then be accepted. So the problem with that is, and from watching TikToks and other people's experience, that information's not circulated mm-hmm. so kids don't even know that that's an option. That's a major problem. So if the, even if there are programs available at 18 I don't know where to look. I wouldn't know you right know, I don't know what to do. So yeah, if I had not had my parents, the people I call my parents to go to, I would have had to find family, find friends, find something um, there's some crazy statistic of numbers of kids that end up homeless. So typically, those kids will go live, find biological family. If they know where their biological family is, even if that's a horrible, bad experience, at least it's a roof over your head. Right. You know, or they end up homeless. So I know plenty of kids who ended up sleeping on someone's couch and bouncing between homes. But a lot of times these kids also don't end up getting a steady job Mm -hmm. because they. that's the thing. I think that all kids should be taught uh, taxes and how to pump gas and basic living, but definitely foster kids. At 16, you should start telling them what their options are. There should not be a, well, you're no longer in our care. You're going to have to figure it out. Why are we not doing a better job of preparing them? Helping kids that are in foster care at 16, 17, get a job, maintain, start saving, have some idea of what they're going to do next, what their next stop is, instead of just saying, okay, we've done our job. we wash our hands of you now go try to make something of yourself.
0: Right. Why is there not some either practicum experiences or something that you can know? I wouldn't know how to look for a job. I barely knew how to look for a job at 18 or anything I know now.
1: I have a 20 year old son who still checks with me on before he does anything, yeah. apply for a <laughs> job, pay taxes, um, I apply for an apartment, buy a car. He doesn't make a decision without calling me first. But one of these people that don't have someone to call right I was very lucky to find my parents and to have over the years established relationships with guidance counselors Mm -hmm. and friends parents that saw that I didn't want to be another statistic and invested time into me so that I knew I had somewhat of a support system to go to after and have maintained those relationships into my 40s yeah
0: What was kind of the moment for you if you even I don't know if you had like this moment or what kind of came to your breaking point of you saying, I'm not going to be another statistic. I'm going to make a difference for myself.
1: As long as I can remember, my main goal in life was to not be anything like my biological mother. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw how she she never took responsibility for her actions. Mm -hmm. She never apologized to us kids for. The decisions she made, she never made an effort to keep us or to get a job or to maintain stability. That was just not something she strove for. So one of the earliest decisions I had made for myself, number one, was if I had children, they would not end up back in the system, Mm -hmm. that I would be that stable parent. I would do whatever I had to do to make them feel comfortable and make sure that they knew that they were loved. Going hungry is a big trigger for me. So make sure that they never experience those kinds of days. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the earliest things. It didn't translate into education and career until later on in life. Okay. Um, until high school. And once I got to college and being the first one to ever in my the history of my family to ever get a degree was a big milestone. Wow. For me. It was a big click. Like, yeah. you can do this, you know? And then also to see my siblings, because my siblings, unfortunately, are the statistic. Mm -hmm. All three of them have repeated the process. I have, last count, seven nieces and nephews who've been in and out of the system. So um, they are exactly all those things we didn't try to be. And, you know, in their mind, I have become too good for them because I've done something different in life. But I was just determined to make something of myself, you know? To be a support system for the people around me and for my kids to to have a different future than the one that I had. Right. So there wasn't like a massive aha moment. It's just been a continual work to continual build. Yeah. You know, and I understand why so many foster kids resort to anger or to drugs. I know that my siblings. We've had this conversation. Is resort to drugs to them the pain? Mm-hmm. And I get it. I do. I absolutely get it. But that's not going to solve the problem. Right. We have to recognize what we've been through, what we've overcome and continue to take steps in the right direction to make sure that we're not repeating that. Right. How was
0: the impact your, who you call your, we'll say your parents. How did that interaction come? Was it, or how did you find them? Cause that's fascinating. Cause you found them at 18. That's awesome.
1: So I actually met my dad, John, when I moved to that state-funded orphanage. Okay. He was the bus driver. Oh, I love that. And initially, we just hit it off right away. And I didn't know at the time that, and but also I was very leery. Mm-hmm. I had been abused by every man in my life. Every man in my life. From um, even in a couple of foster homes. So I was very leery initially. Um, and he saw that leeriness. And, let me work in my own time and never, he'd never cross the line. Even when I moved in with him and my mom and, um, he would never initiate a hug. He would always let me come to him. And it took a, I told him later on, it took over a year for me to feel like, okay, I can sleep at night without having to worry that I'm going to be abused. Um, and for, in some ways that kind of let me put him on a pedestal because he was different. Um, so They could not have children or were told they could not have children and had tried for 16 years. And so they knew that I was going to age out of the system. They had met with the orphanage to talk about taking me in and we just kind of took it out of their hands. And once I turned 18, I moved in. That was just, I loaded my car up and we went and they've just been my parents ever since. And they... A year after I had their first grandchild, they got pregnant with my sister. So. Oh, my gosh. What? I have a 20-year-old sister. That's crazy. Well, 19. She's 19. You're the blessing there. That's so crazy. After how long? After 16
0: years. Well, what was it then? 18 years. And then they finally get pregnant. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy.
1: You brought them the happiness they needed. Yeah. Well, they were gonna adopt again, or well, legally adopt right. a little boy, and that adoption fell through. So they were devastated. They had the room ready, oh, and yeah. But shortly after that, mom called me in tears and said, "You'll never guess, but I'm pregnant." So, <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah, that's, it's been a crazy ride. That's kind of a, that's a cool story, though.
0: I like that. That's amazing. What was that like? I have to ask. What was that like? So you you had your your oldest. And then your mom was pregnant at the same time? Or was it after you had your oldest?
1: After I had my oldest. So my son was a month old when she called me to tell me that she was pregnant. What was that it like? Was strange. Yeah. It, was, it was strange. It was strange. I mean, it was coming into a family dynamic when you're already a teen is a hard thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you've pretty well been in survival mode for all this time. And to come into a situation where you're loved unconditionally and you're not used to that it's such a big adjustment and then to have my sister come along and oh my gosh my brain even as an adult as an adult at this point (laughs) my my brain is like oh my gosh now they're having the kid they don't need me you know and all these things and which was not right not in any way the truth but trauma is trauma and you have to work through it um i adore her we're pretty close and i mean there's a massive age gap there but um I mean, they're just in all intents and purposes, the family I was blessed with, and I couldn't be more grateful. What was it like going through or how did you come to, I don't
0: even want to say come to terms, but heal from the horrible trauma you went through? What worked for you?
1: I don't think there's any one thing and I don't, I won't say I'm completely healed. There are days. Oh, never will be. Right. I don't mind talking about it, obviously, otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation, but some days it's harder It's harder for me to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, some days something will happen with one of my kids' friends, or they'll come to talk to me, and it's just like a brick wall that smacks me in the face, and I'm like, oh, I can't do this today. But having it be okay to talk about, it's not a dirty secret. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so often society as a whole wants to shove it under the rug. Oh, absolutely. Because it's like comfortable. Mm -hmm. We've seen it countless times. I've seen it with people I've met or friends that I've made when the conversation gets too heavy. It's, oh, we don't want to talk about that. But for me, talking about it heals. Mm -hmm. Um, But also just the steps of, okay, recognizing that, yes, I came from that. And that's what so many foster kids need. If I could share with every single one of them is just because you came from it doesn't mean you have to be it. Right. Those circumstances and those people don't dictate who I am. They don't. I didn't get to choose my family, but I get to choose my path. And that makes it harder for some people. Yes, I came from dirt, poor. I have been hungry more times than I can count. That's a hard place to come from, opposed to someone who's born into privilege. Right. But just like everything else in life, if you work hard enough at it, if you put one foot in front of the other, if you maintain as much of a positive attitude as you can, but turning to drugs and alcohol and other things are not going to fix the hole. Surrounding yourself with, and family's not just blood. Right. Family's made. My best friend, my kids call her their aunt, have their whole life, you know? A prime example of my siblings, I don't have a relationship with them because of the choices they've made. right? But I have so many people that I consider family because I've made it that way people that enriched my life, that encouraged me to continue to be better, and who recognize. And I, you know, I can't take all the credit for overcoming all that because I did have every step of the way, even the times that I wanted to give up, it just didn't feel like it was worth it. There was at least one person that I could look to that was in my corner. And some of those people aren't in my life anymore. Some people are just in your life for a season, but- And I have bad mental health days, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But I have to take those days. And we have a saying around here is feel it and then move past it. Like, take your day. Right. Take your day. we be in the bed if you need to. Watch your favorite TV show. But tomorrow, get up. Like, I just can't. I may have come from it, but I can't live there. Right. You know? hmm You're giving me goosebumps
0: listening to these. <laughs> I love it. One part of you and what really was like, just shows what kind of individual you are. When we first talked you, had said you are that safe haven for your kids' friends that come from broken homes. So I want to talk about that. And I know you said some things are triggering for you with their situations, but what made you say, like, I want to be this safe haven for them or anyone that needs a safe space from their broken homes?
1: Just recognizing that everybody needs somebody Mm -hmm. in their corner. And some of them come in here and they just want to vent. They just want to vent about what's going on in their life. And a lot of times I can't fix it. Right. You know, I'm not the parent. I can't take them into my home because they have a parent. So letting them vent, letting them be a safe space. We have a couple that I always ask them when they're here or when they're out with us. Are you hungry? Have you eaten today? Even if it's just buying you a meal, then I know that you went home having eaten something, you know? When we outgrow clothes or when they're with us and we're out shopping, do you need anything? It's just because they're going to grow into adults too. Right. And I always tell them, I'm like, be better. Yes, I know this situation right now sucks, for lack of a better word. It does. Right. But be better. You're going to turn 18, you're going to turn 20, and you're going to be responsible for yourself. So if you hear nothing else from me, hear that you can be better. Yes. And you can call me at 2 a.m. if you need to be picked up from somewhere. Um, My door is always open. They know that there's frequently extra people in my house on the weekend, (laughs) but I just, I recognize the pain that some of them are in. I see myself in that and, you know, I can't take them all in and care for them all 24 seven. But if the small things that I do do help their day a little better, um, help them endure what they're going through at home or just to give them hope that there is life after this, there's life after whatever you're born into, it will get better, it can get better, just keep trudging. I love that. And what can
0: can people do to help kids in the foster care system? What can myself, what can other people do? Is it provide resources? Is it donate? Is it just understand how this works?
1: What can people do? Well, number one, if you're thinking, I've heard it, so many people say that they've thought about posturing, but they can't because they would become attached. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, I understand that if you become attached and that child gets moved, then it's painful. But think about that from the other perspective as well, from the kid's perspective. And trust me, if you make an enough impression to become attached to them, they're attached to you, they will come back. Right. Just because that child has moved doesn't mean that they're not going to remember however long they were with you, that you had a positive impact. And you may be the only positive impact they've ever had. And so many people think that they can't foster teens because they're broken, right? Right. Yeah, we're broken, but that doesn't mean we can't be fixed. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people want to adopt babies and I'm absolutely for that too. But it's the teenagers who are going to become adults, and your involvement in their life could prevent them from becoming the next statistic, becoming the next person that's like their father and mother they just came from. And a lot of them are carrying anger because they have been shuffled around so many times. They have come to that conclusion that nobody wants me. I'm going to act out because nobody cares. I don't know what to do with this anger. I hate my life the way it is. I'm mad at my parents for the, the choices they made and the fact that I had no choice in how I was born and raised. Um, but just becoming knowledgeable, there is a website, U.S. Adoption, where it is the saddest thing because you can literally go in there and look at the kids that are up for adoption. It's like adopting a pet from a pound. There's a picture and a bio. I didn't even know that. Okay. And so many times we want to push it under the rug and people don't realize the sheer number of kids in foster care or that are up for adoption. And a lot of the kids that are in foster care are not even up for adoption Mm -hmm. at this point. But they still need someone that they can trust to walk beside them through the process that is painful and confusing and can feel like you don't want to go on. I mean, it can be very much, I remember just feeling despair so often. so just get involved, ask questions, be involved in your state and figure out what the rules are. And even if you don't want to foster in your home, you know, sometimes these kids have never had a Christmas around Christmas time or year round. Um, what kids do you have having a birthday come up? What could they use? A lot of these kids come into the system without clothes, without possessions, without the shoes. They go to school and get picked on because they're in hay me down things and they don't have, I mean... The phone was not even on the radar, in <laughs> that right. <nighttime. laughs> you know, so ask what you can donate, what will actually go to these kids. And if you're able open your home, I know that that has been a continuous conversation here and it will continue to be because I'll, I'll keep pushing. I just, um, I want these kids to know it's not the end, that there is hope you can't overcome it. And then even painful things can be overcome. This is
0: I, I don't I don't even have words for you because you just need your own podcast first of all of these great things and what you could do. But I'll put the links down on this episode for how people can get involved and help out. But this has been amazing. This has been I mean, we could talk about this for hours and I just love your story. I love how far you've come. I love how you still manage to be positive because I don't know that I would be. I don't know that I would be. I don't know that I would, me individually or so many other people wouldn't just be another statistic or get over that, but you are so resilient and you are just such an incredible human being. And I'm, I'm just so thankful our paths cross and all of this breadth of information and everything, but I'm so thankful. So as we wrap this up, Can listeners, if they're interested to learn more, can they reach out to you? I'm going to provide the resources you'll give me, but.
1: Sure, absolutely. They can always find me on LinkedIn and through you as well, since we're connected on there. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I mean there are a lot of Jessica Whites in the world, but <laughs> I'll, so I'll put yours, Jensen I promise. mom.
0: <laughs> I love it. You're amazing. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being on this. This was so much fun. Yes, a very heavy topic, but thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course. No. Keeping an advocate and I'm sure all these kids are so lucky to have you as their advocate.